purveyors of the status quo will not survive in retail today. It will be survival of the innovative. That was a topic of discussion in the latest episode of the End the Solid podcast. I spoke with Donnie Askin. He's currently the EVP and partner at NewMind, a retail technology and consulting firm. He also, among many other endeavors, serves as the chairman of the advisory board here at NewStore. It was great catching up with Donnie. It's a fun interview and a lot of great info. Let's roll. Hey, Donnie, thanks for joining the show. Welcome. Hey, Marcus. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So you have over four years of experience uh, leading and growing tech companies, specifically in the retail tech space. And that was perfect guest to have on as that's exactly what we wanted to talk about on the show. So I'd love you to take a few minutes and just talk a little bit about um, currently what you're focused on. We can get into um, some of the other stuff earlier in your career. You know, you're currently at New Mind, So I'd love to hear a little bit about that and, uh, and the role that you recently took there. Great. Again, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, did you say four years or 40 years? <laughs> it's 40 plus. Four, four decades, yeah. Been, been around for a while, absolutely. So very excited about uh, uh, my current venture, uh, partnering with uh, CEO Navjeet Basin at a company called Numine. Um, Navjeet and I used to work together in one of my earlier companies. Uh, about 11 years ago, he started a uh, omni-channel uh, retail consultancy. And about three years ago, he had the vision and foresight to, to uh, want to pivot his, his very successful boutique consulting business into a, uh, a solution provider with, with an actual SaaS platform. And at the time, he, he indicated that his, his first sort of target was going to be returns. And having been a, a student of, of uh, commerce and order management for multiple decades, I sort of chuckled. Returns, my God, that's as old a problem as there's ever been, and just sort of a necessary evil of doing business. And you know, to his credit, he had the vision and the foresight to know that that was going to be a growing problem. Um, uh, uh, so I've been advising that company for about six years as uh, as part of my own uh, consultant uh, CEO mentoring and consulting company, and um, was thrilled with the, the prospect of the pivot to the SaaS platform. Uh, historically, I've helped um, start, build, and launch SaaS companies, so much more in my wheelhouse. And uh, about six months ago, as the business really started to take a dramatic turn on the on the SaaS side, uh, I came on board essentially full-time. And what we do at NewMind, very simply, or maybe not so simply, uh, we are the one and only big data, AI-driven, predictive, prescriptive analytics platform that provides corrective workflows and, and uh, total uh, closed loop and anal- holistic analysis of returns. And our focus is singularly on actual returns reduction, not just not making returns easier, but actually returns reduction. And nobody else is doing that. So that's where I'm spending 110% of my time and the other 40% is spelt, uh, spent on other endeavors. Yeah, uh, one of which we we should uh, know is is an advisory role here at New Store. So uh, you've been friends with the company and and go way back um, in terms of knowing Stefan, who's the founder and CEO of New Store. So be interested to to see how you guys had originally crossed paths. Was that at Commercialware when you founded the company? Yes. Um, so uh, I, Stefan, and I uh, first met, and and demand where first met. Uh, um, late 19, uh, 1998, 99, in that time frame, uh, 
I had a company called Commercialware, and we were uh, an order management uh, solution, everything behind the buy button. Subsequently, sold that company shortly thereafter, early 2000s, and had bought a small little SaaS company called Order Motion, uh, which was also attractive and had a number of discussions uh, with Stefan, with the demand we're aboard, um, with uh, several folks in operations about how we might work closely together. Uh, we complemented um, and extended what demand was doing and did a number of transactions together. Right. So take us back to, to commercialware. So um, you're, this is right out of college. You found the company. How, how did it, how did it all come to be? I mean, uh, you know, in your, early 20s, um, you know, starting a company that you'd hold on to and, and have such success that you saw? Look, uh, I have to say Stefan is the quintessential um, entrepreneur. Um, I think most people uh, sh- shadow that at best. Um, I-, I would like to tell you it was great planning and forethought. Um, the reality is one of my definitions of an entrepreneur is recognizing the opportunity that's staring them straight, straight in the, right in the face. Um, I-, I think, um, you know, not to put thoughts or words into Stefan's mind, but I think you know, he sees things 15 years out and, and I see things that are right there staring me in the face. In any case, my career um, began with the advent of mid-range computing. Uh, I think you could be successful in spite of yourself back then. I was fortunate enough to be in a pilot program in high school back in 1968, where we actually had to travel 20 miles just to get access to a computer. This is, you know, 12, 14 years before PC it mm-hmm. is uh, 20, 20 years before, or actually 30 years before uh, internet becomes commercially available. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and I was, by today's standards, a hacker back then. I was intrigued with computers. That said, it was very uncool to be involved with tech, Vietnam era. So my degree is in philosophy, of all things, which another discussion another day is actually <laughs> very, very tightly coupled. In any case, um, started to build a company, uh, was able to bridge business requirements with with the technical aspects it was the wild wild west here particularly in the new england area in mid-range computing with home of digital computer and, and prime and wang and companies like that um and started to build out a, a, a you know contract for hire development firm and um not long thereafter about three or four years later again i would like to tell you it was great planning and forethought but it was just opportunity i got involved with a company in the catalog mail order space, you know, again, long before internet and um, uh, the sharper image, if anybody remembers that company back in the day, sure. it was, you, you waited for the catalog to show up in your mailbox. And, and shortly thereafter, it was Brooks Brothers and Patagonia and Chico's and J. Jill and companies like that. And within a fairly short period, we grew our company and we became one of the two leading providers of, of what we called back then catalog mail order management systems back in the day. Uh, and that was sort of where commercial work started and, and and grew until we did our first of three sales to a to a public company, uh, which I then <laughs> subsequently bought back in '98 during the dot com boom, and ultimately sold the company to Micros Retail, which is now part of Oracle. Fantastic, and um, you know you have deep entrepreneurial roots. Um, you know, I saw you've been involved in Mass Challenge for a while. So, you know, having gone through you know founding companies, uh, acquisitions, sales exits, you know, just from an entrepreneurial sense, what makes the New England area so unique? Is it the close proximity to to VCs? Is it the higher ed you know institutions that are here? I'm I mean, I guess, uh, you know, if I was a betting person, I'd say it's a little bit of both, but, um, and a couple other factors, but we'd be curious to hear 
you know, from your perspective, um, what makes this area so unique on the East Coast? Uh, I, I think you're correct. It's the all of the above, um, for sure. Uh, you have this confluence of, of an incredibly well-trained workforce. Uh, you have an incredibly supportive uh, environment, um, whether it be through incubators and accelerators, which are certainly later coming, but um, you had the, the whole mid-range community um, uh, conceived in this area, uh, have strong venture capital presence. And I think, um, not to be cliche-ish here, but there, back then in particular, there was much more focus on building great companies uh, as opposed to looking for something quick to flip and, 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 and exit. Uh, not that those are mutually exclusive, quite the opposite. If you build a great company, you typically will have great exits. Um, but it, it really changes the, the mindset and the, uh, of what you want to build and the culture of the organization that you want to build. So um, uh, it's right place, right time, right forces. It's all those things um, you know, coming together. And, and New England has been... Um, has been really a great environment and frankly is, is even better now. I mean, incubators, accelerators are a relatively recent phenomenon the last decade, decade and a quarter with mass challenge being uh, mm -hmm. sort of the granddaddy or grandmother of them all. Um, and I was fortunate enough. Um, it was Diane Hessen from community space, community, uh, um, uh, yeah, community space who, who um, introduced me to that in the second year. And, and I spent about nine years just working with entrepreneurs. Um, I'm fond of saying, my monopoly on, on great ideas, unlike Stefan, dried up a long time ago, but I know how to build companies. And uh, you have the invert of that in these incubators. You have great ideas, mm -hmm. but not necessarily any idea how to build a company. It, it calls to mind a, a phrase I often use, which is, you know, vision without execution is hallucination. And <laughs> is a Ben Ben Franklin quote, I believe. Um, and so you tend to have in early stage entrepreneurs, lots of hallucination, but if you take these great ideas and actually can execute to them, then you create, can create great companies. And, and so that made a, a perfect mar uh, marriage, particularly when I sort of wound down my day to day working and, and really wanted to have an opportunity to stay engaged and to give back and, and do all that. So uh, mass challenge was a great opportunity and also kept me, kept me very much in the community. Uh, so new networking opportunities, great entrepreneurs, um, and just staying engaged with, with the ecosystem here. <laughs> That's great. We have, we have a really unique hub, um, you know, certainly with the, the health and the high, the health tech space, certainly it, um, and there's this, this small sort of retail pocket, which, you know, you've certainly created a, a nice niche in and, um, you know, Stefan landing here with, with Demandware and, and New Store, um, among the other companies, uh, both blue chip and, and startups that are here that are kind of creating space within the retail industry. It's nice to see. So you mentioned um, some of the work you're doing with returns at Newmine around Omnichannel. And I'm always curious to hear definitions or how folks define Omnichannel. Uh, so I'm curious what it means to you um, when you hear the word Omnichannel. It reminds me of an old joke. If you ask three rabbis the same question, you'll get five different answers. And and, um, <laughs> and I, I think Omnichannel probably is much the same. So um, I, I I see sort of two dimensions to it. Uh, from I look at it uh, having grown up in the space, and, and we actually coined or were, were one of the early folks talking about multi-channel back in the late 90s. 
um, which then became morphed into cross-channel, which today is omni-channel. And they are actually three different things. I think it just represents a maturation process. But I, I look at them in kind of two dimensions. One dimension is from the customer experience and the other dimension, which has relates to the customer experience, but is really focused on, on the retailer or brand owner. So from the, the, the customer experience, very simply put, I think it's creating this uh, um, customer experience irrespective of channel that the customer can just weave and bob through with, without any, any constraints, without any uh, guardrails with, you know, that it really doesn't matter where they start, how they go through the middle and where they end up. Meaning they may do discovery on the web. They may walk into a store when you could walk into a store. um, If you remember those days, Uh, and then they may return online or they may return back to the store and, and it shouldn't matter. Uh, and I think there's been an enormous amount of maturation in that aspect of it, but frankly, there's still a long way to go. So that's from the customer experience side, from the from the business side, which has probably um, been one of the, the greater challenges is creating this seamless kind of frictionless business set of uh, process uh, processes across and between all the channels that are viewed holistically, aimed at meeting the customer wherever and whenever that customer wants to have, wants to interact. So, you know, the challenge there is that historically retailers have been siloed. They had online, they had offline, um, and those worlds were actually competed with each other. They had separate P&Ls, they had oftentimes separate merchandise, uh, and that certainly did not extend or project well. Uh, I think the enlightened retailers and 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 certainly New Store has gone a long way to provide the tool set to to facilitate this and, and do it in a way that really hasn't been done before is to, to create this sort of unified experience that, as I said before, whether you're on the customer side or you're on the, on the, um, the brand owner or retailer side, it's all seamless and you don't have competing factions within the organization, but act, actually factions that are all tightly coupled and working together to create a great customer experience, which drives top line results and bottom line results and all those good things. So um, omni-channel to me is is this sort of seamless, frictionless architecture from from consumer experience all the way back to organizational um, structure within the retailer brand owner. When we, you know, we see with our customers, but we also see it outside of our customer base. When we do the new store omni-channel leadership report, we look at the organizations that are scoring very, very highly, and they have committed themselves to an organizational structure that has a singular you know, vision and mission. And, and you're right, the, the departments are not competing, but working together. And, and it does start from from the foundations that the organization lays and and all the way out to the actual customer experience, wherever that may be. From your perspective, are there some brands that, that come to mind that are doing this really well? Good question. Uh, I, I would, on your last comment, I would just say old habits tend to die hard. Um, <laughs> and, and so you have retailers with good intent, but bad habits. Uh, they also have systems and infrastructure that supports those and fosters those bad habits. Um, so it's it's a fat, fairly dramatic chain change for an organization for a retailer brand owner if uh, if they're not enlightened and if they're not driven from the top um, top down. Um, in terms of of your question here, who have I seen? I, I have to be honest. Oh, I'm always honest, but I have to be honest. Uh, look, I, I have not been out there as much this year. Um, I certainly sure. haven't been in the malls. Um, uh, and although I would say I was an Amazon laggard, meaning uh, there was something just given that I 
support from a system standpoint and from a from a, um, a thought standpoint, a, a lot of middle market retailers and Amazon certainly has has impacted their business and in some cases destroyed their businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, survival of the fittest for sure. I, I have become more of an Amazon shopper in this past year because it's just so damn convenient and it's yeah. and and everybody needs to get on board with that. Now um, uh, that said, uh, you know, and, and you brought up um, the. Uh, the, the new store report, which is a, a very comprehensive report. Um, and I, and I looked at the players that you noted in there, Louis Vuitton, Nor- uh, Nordstrom, Saks and others. Um, you know, I, in the experience that I've had with those retailers, they have been positive. Um, my on a more personal note, Best Buy, I think has done a really good job. Um, yeah. Yep. Integrating um, uh, offline and online. Um, and uh, uh, Mike Relic, who has taken over uh, the CEO role at um, Eddie Bauer, um, uh, Paxson, who is a, an advisor at New, New Mind. So I've had the ability to uh, experience both the, the retailer, you know, a, as a consumer um, of PSEB or one of the brands, but also to hear, you know, his story um, more closely than many might have. I think he's done an amazing job of, of uh, not only restructuring and reorganizing and pivoting the business from a business that was primarily offline uh, to a business that is almost 90 or 95% online now and delivering on the sort of omni-channel key elements that are necessary, both from an infrastructure standpoint and a business process standpoint to deliver, you know, a very positive uh, consumer experience. So I think he's, he's one that I have some personal and his company have some personal experience with. Now, ironically, I've heard, yeah, and I don't want to pinpoint anybody, but this is coming from both firsthand experience as well as some some quick polling of some colleagues. You know, Zara, on the other hand, is, has been challenged, and they are, uh, at least from a consumer standpoint, um, uh, highly siloed. Um, tr- doing transactions is difficult. I should actually point out Best Buy used to be that way too five or 10 years ago. Their systems didn't talk to each other. You know, mm-hmm. you walk in and a store associate would be jumping from one system to another just to, to complete a transaction. That's all changed. So so that's kind of where my head is right now. Uh, I think with the advent of, of COVID, you had this um, this thinning of the herd where uh, everybody hit, hit a brick wall pretty much at the same time, spent the yeah. summer focused on existential issues. Are we going to be in business? Positioned themselves if they were successful to to make the pivot to a, a primarily uh, online e-commerce um, uh, go to market. And and those that made it to the fall then set their sights on getting through the shopping season. And mm-hmm. those that have made it through the shopping season, um, uh, hopefully are the ones that are going to thrive and go forward, primarily because of their nimbleness and their ability to pivot. Of course, the road, the road to this journey I just described is littered with dead bodies, a.k.a. You know, retailers have gone into bankruptcy, whether seven or eleven. Mm-hmm. Seven chapter eleven. So, yeah, yeah. So, if we're thinking about where brands are today, and they're looking ahead for the rest of the calendar year, they certainly have their eyes set on Thanksgiving. You know, Black Friday holiday shopping as something they might be working towards. What should they be focused on? Maybe from an operations standpoint, maybe from a technology standpoint. You know, what are the things that, uh, in your opinion, brands should be really focused in on with hyper detail, you know, to, to ensure that they're taking all the right steps to, to help grow their business and, and make it viable in the next year and beyond. Um, so I think a, a number of things. And I think one of the challenges is the sands are shifting literally beneath their feet as we speak. Uh, are yeah. we going to be back into stores, you know, in, in the spring, or are we going to be back in the stores next 
Christmas holiday season. Um, and, you know, the uh, stores are not dead. Anybody that says that, I, I think, are maybe the same people that said that um, the traditional retailers were dead in, in 1998. Now, um, I think they were 12, 15 years ahead on their vision in that particular case. But I think in, in terms of what stores need to be focused on, uh, number one is survival. And to survive, uh, I think it requires digital transformation. Um, I think there's a unique window of opportunity to take a hard look at systems, infrastructure, the cost of all that, the business processes that go along with that, and rethink them. Because the the way people shop, the demands put upon that infrastructure is all changing. I mean, even something as simple as, as point of sale. You know, we go into contactless payments and we go into... Uh, you know, the, the Amazon Go type stores where a, a lot of the things that were really critical and the, and the aisles for checkout are, will become moot in, in the not too distant future. So um, and the ability to service that customer, no matter where their journey started, is all critical. And if you don't have that right, you won't be around very long, in, in my view. Um, so I, I think digital transformation and embracing omnichannel to its fullest is, is probably the top. But that's a very broad category, huge umbrella. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't say addressing returns is not part of the mix. Uh, obviously, I have a bias there, but for good reason. Um, returns, uh, the pandemic has, with the, um, the change in the revenue mix from, from offline to online, implicitly has returns skyrocketing. Um, traditional businesses that, that might have only had three or four or 5% returns are now looking at 20, 25, 30% returns. Fashion and other industries, take the store out of the equation because you can't walk into a fitting room like you used to, you know, they're who may have been looking at 25 or 30% returns and now looking at 40, 50, sometimes 60% returns. That is not sustainable. There's a, there's intrinsic cost and all that. So returns, which is that we started this conversation was a necessary evil of doing business is how folks have traditionally looked at it in retail it can no longer be relegated to that category. Uh, and until retailers take a serious look at returns in a holistic fashion, not in a spot fashion, um, that has the potential of being an Achilles heel for their business. I think another key area which was just highlighted in this past shopping season is the whole shipping and last mile delivery issue. Yeah. Uh, you've got a, just a handful of carriers and they have been overwhelmed to date with what happened during peak season. And they actually literally cut retailers off, said we're not going to deliver anymore. And uh, many of those uh, carriers were also responsible for getting merchandise back and forth to stores. And when they won't do that anymore, you had inventory locked up in a store with no way to to move it around. Um, So uh, I think the whole notion of of how product is delivered and how it's fulfilled and who's going to be responsible for that and how to drive cost out of that, uh, there was just not that long ago that that uh, freight and and shipping was a profit center. And now because of the precedent that Amazon and Walmart and others have set, you know, shipping has to be free. And so now instead of being a profit center, it's a huge cost center for retailers and that cost is getting higher. So that too needs to be addressed. Um, So I think those are all sort of key elements um, that brands need to keep top of mind. I, I, I think if you ask where will they go, where they need to go from here, I, I think there's been a, uh, I think we've seen that those companies, those retailers and brand owners who are nimble will win the day. So yeah. I, I think that, uh, and those that aren't nimble enough are in many cases are gone. Um, obviously online will continue to grow. 
Uh, as I said earlier, I don't think stores are, are by no means dead, but they need to be completely rethought. Uh, one of the things I think is really so advanced in, in, in Stefan and New Store's thinking is creating this sort of associate-centric point of view where mm-hmm. we're enabling people no matter where they are, offline, online, the store associates, uh, giving them the tools to provide you know a, a very personalized, almost clienteling uh, experience, which is what every, everybody wants to be taken care of. A consumer yeah. wants to be taken care of. And, and to the degree that you can automate that and do it in an intelligent way with the supporting infrastructure, I think is, in my own view, is is part of the future of retailer, uh, retailing. So those are kind of the key points. I do think the retail business certainly um, for brick and mortar goes as the associates go and that, and that dictates a lot of customer satisfaction and uh, it definitely helps aid in the customer shopping experience. So such a vital piece for sure. So one last question, Donnie, before we, before we wrap up here, you mentioned, you know, the brands that will be successful, you know, are the ones that are nimble and, we would need probably another half hour to understand why it's so difficult for some retailers to become nimble. But if you did have a piece of advice for the brands that maybe aren't already partway through a digital evolution or, or transformation, what might be a piece of advice that, that you would give to you know an executive at one of these brands as they're looking at this as something they may want to do or, or maybe don't have the know how to to fully get underway? Well, I I think the advice is that that if they don't do this, they will most likely not be around. Um, And that's pretty compelling. Um, Mm -hmm. Look, uh, human nature is such uh, that inertia is is one of the greatest forces. There always seems to be some alleged safety in the status quo. Um, We have, look, the pandemic's been an accelerant and, and it has dramatically forced change at a pace that probably would have taken five or, uh, you know, 10 times longer to do. Um, but I think there's a lot of lesson in that. And, and um, I use the, the term thinning of the herd. I mean, we're already seeing that. And, and if you can't take lesson from, from that, as opposed to somebody just pontificating, then you probably don't belong in the position you're in. The world is changing. And uh, if you are too slow, it, it not only will pass you by, it, it will leave you on the side of the road. And, and, Look, you can only every every business has to has has a limited amount of capital and has to be deployed in 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 an educate in as educated way that it can be deployed to provide you know sustenance and return and and growth and um, and I think the purveyors of the status quo will will not live and those that that take a look and deploy their capital intelligently recognizing that that the world around them has changed, not is going to change, but has changed and will continue to change. They, they will be the ones that survive and, and, and thrive. I also think there's a new generation of retailers are going to emerge and even the form and the form factor of the current retailers is already changing. So there's a lot of dynamics um, as an industry. And, and again, as a student of this industry for many years, in so many ways, retail has been, you know, at the forefront of some innovation, but I think as an industry as a whole, it's been a laggard. And uh, the wake-up call has been sounded, and, and the time is now. Well, we will end with that. Thank you so much. Um, you know, this is a fun conversation, and and certainly a lot of, of good nuggets of info for listeners. Um, so I appreciate the time, Donnie. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
before we before we go, um, where could folks find information about Newmine or, or connect with you? Um, I would just go right to newmine.com. Um, we're, we're readily available there. We're actually about to redeploy our, our website, so it's going to look better. Um, oh, and um, and I can be reached at deaskin at newmine.com. So we, we'd love to hear from folks if, if anybody wanted to chat, and, and uh, that would be a real pleasure. All right. Well, thank you. We'll wrap with that. Uh, Donnie, enjoy the rest of the day and we'll be in touch. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the podcast, which is presented by New Store. We'll catch you next time on the MSI.